Hello, everybody. Terence Lakey with another edition of the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we talk philosophy from the farm. One of the big questions we ask on this show is why farmers farm? And our guest today asked the very same question. Elvira de Bridget is the author of Why We Farm, stories from the farmers of the Cape Valley. Together, we talk about what inspired her to write this book, the importance of the sustainable farmer, and of course, why farmers farm. Elvira, thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Terrence. Now, before we get too far underway, can you give us a little bit of a background on what got you interested in agriculture? Hmm, well, mostly it started with my interest in food and um, and then, you know, having children and really wanting good, healthy food and wanting to live in the country. That all kind of started me on this journey and and then when I ha- started living in the country and eating the good food that, you know, was local, I, I was visiting farms and really just was so curious about how farmers made a living and just wanted to know, you know, how stressful is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so was that part of the compunction to write the book? Yep. That was just, you know, seeing... Yeah, seeing my neighbors, how hard they worked, and some of their successes and failures, and I just really was curious to know, you know, the inside story of what it really takes to to make farming a successful livelihood. So tell us a little bit about the Cape Valley. What makes it so, this, uh, I almost think it's like the Silicon Valley of farming, based on the book. (laughs) That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of innovative farmers back at kind of the beginning of this whole organic food movement in, like, you know, the late 70s and early 80s. There were people here who, you know, first started out doing CSAs when nobody knew what that was, Mm community-supported agriculture, and... um, and having direct relationships with restaurants, chefs. Um, but they were just, yeah, experimenting, really. And um, and it is, I guess, similar to Silicon Valley in that it's close enough to the Bay Area that they can reach that market. Um, it's about an hour and a half from San Francisco Bay Area. Well, I say that, but it's an hour and a half to... The, the very edge of the Bay Area <laughs> in the East Bay. <laughs> and, um, and it's about an hour to Sacramento also. Um, and it's a little valley that even people who live nearby, like in San Francisco and Sacramento, have rarely heard of it. Um, it's, it's kind of in between the big Central Valley and the Napa Calistoga Valley, so we're just a, a little valley in the foothills there. It's absolutely fascinating reading these stories because they're every kind of farmer you could think of. Almonds, olives, sheep, cottonseed breeders, tomatoes. You just have a little bit of everything, an immense amount of diversity there. 
Yeah, and that was what I really wanted to show in my book because I figured there's a lot of books coming out about sustainable agriculture exclusively, and there's a lot of books about, yeah, just certain kinds of farming. But I wanted to show more of like a wide array of ways that farmers have, you know, figured out ways to operate their businesses. Mm-hmm. Now, I love the title of the book, Why We Farm. Since that's a lot of what we try doing on the show is answering not necessarily how people farm, because let's face it, most of us, if we're not a farmer, don't entirely understand how to do it ourselves, but we're always Mm -hmm. fascinated to hear the story behind why they do it. So kudos, excellent choice. (laughs) Did you find there was a common motivation with these farmers as to what brought them into farming? There was some. It wasn't, you know, for everybody exclusive, but, you know, most people, yeah, are really interested in being stewards of the land, um, really feeling some connection to place and wanting to, you know, to just really stay in that place and help it, you know, thrive. And, um, you know, and I was surprised maybe how... There were some people who, you know, they grew up in farming families, but then there were others who hadn't, and so it was, it wasn't consistent in that way. Which I was glad to hear. It is rather one of the most interesting things I thought was how many people there are at least four or five that I remember reading from the book that didn't initially start out intending to farm, but just found themselves mm. doing it. Yeah, there are people like that, like um, Annie Henner, who's a young farmer, and she just went to school to be an artist, and she has done a lot of amazing artwork, but she was getting jobs gardening while she was in college, and um, she had lived in this area and spent time on farms, but yeah, she explains in the book how she never thought she would be a farmer, (laughs) and then you know, slowly she started finding that these jobs she was taking were were more and more interesting, and she liked the lifestyle. And, yeah, I just love the story of how she came to back to Cape Bay Valley, rented a piece of ground from her parents, and with just $6,000 saved up, she just started her own farm. <laughs> and she's doing really well, so... Yeah. Well, really well for what she, you know, she's mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> well, and that's, that's that's the thing that matters on a farm. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of funny or just tricky to explain to someone like what does it mean to have a sustainable business as a farmer? That's one thing that I found out in writing this book is that farmers are willing to just work all day long every day and mm-hmm. so you can't like put an hourly rate on on their work and so they you know while they might be sustaining their business and able to afford a just minimally comfortable life or some of them more than minimal but yeah but they're happy and they're they have work and they have a place to live and <laughs> so it's always impressive. All relative. That, yes, it is relative because mm-hmm. really you do find your place of contentment on a farm either and you find your limits where how much you're willing to work, how much you're not willing to work. And a lot of that determines kind of what you end up doing in farming, which it's always yeah. fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. 
Can you share an example from the book of some of the innovations these farmers are making in the valley? There's a lot of work going on here with carbon sequestering with animals. And in some ways, I think um, Full Belly Farm was a pioneer at that um, with having um, sheep and cows and chickens being a part of the whole cycle on the farm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, eating down the leftovers of the crops and then, you know, adding the fertilizer in. Um, that's what I mean by carbon sequestering, right? Um, <laughs> it's always and, good to explain every concept because not everyone that's listening yeah, knows these things. It was and, a new term for me, definitely. Um, so now there are a few different um, pasture-raised livestock operations here in the valley, which some of them I interviewed for my book. And, um, and you know, that's definitely not the only thing. Like, there's more and more people trying to do um, some no-till methods. I know Full Belly actually just this last year's find feeling like they had some success with that on a, on a larger scale than they had previously by just growing a nice cover crop in one field. And then, um, you know, before it went to seed, they came through with like a mower that had like a crimper on it. Mm -hmm. And so then they just crimped down the weeds and then let them die there. And then they become like a ground cover and mulch, you know, and then they, and then they were able to plant in there. So, so they're always trying to look for new innovations. And um, yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to Paul Muller of Full Belly Farm recently, and he was saying that you know he really he really feels like a lot of the farmers here could do a little more <laughs> to really try to stay on top of this. Um, on top of the field, having, you know, more creativity and that that's what it really takes, more innovation to to do our best. And there's always something to do on a farm. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So when you interviewed these various farmers that are featured in the book, what were recur recurring themes that came up in your conversations? That could be one for sure is that there's always something to do <laughs> um, and and that the farmers um, kind of relished this problem solving aspect of the job that there was always a challenge that it was never the same each day um, yeah, that came up a lot um, yeah, what were some other reoccurring themes um I think, yeah, people, you know, being concerned about how to market their their products or their business, um, just how important that was for them. You know, it wasn't just the farming and then selling it. It was like this whole staying on top of what was going to be, you know, the new thing in the public's eye, you know, what was the hot item and yeah. So just marketing in general, how important that was kind of surprised me. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of farms can I mean, I am always hats off to farmers. They work harder than anyone else. And it's sad that a lot of them don't market very well. They kind of <laughs> raise the product and then go, Oh crud, what do I do with this? And I'm thankful that now in the modern day and age, especially at the advent of social media and other organizations out there, farmers are having an easier time marketing their product now, I think, directly to the consumer than ever before. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting to see that development. And um, the Barsadi family, with the chapter on Cape Organic or Farm Fresh to You, um, they talk a little bit about that, how it's, you know, that's a new model that the kind of, you know, don't need as much of the middleman. And then that the, if there is a middleman, that they can really be more conscientious about what the farmer is going through and what, you know, just making it good for both sides. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, the kind of the larger overall, um, you know, global food market in our society is not geared towards helping out the small farmer for sure it's all about cheap food that's one of the difficulties of today's society is mass marketed food and it's a pleasure to see so many farmers looking at an alternative method sustainability mm-hmm. so traveling to these various farms mean the ver- various people from all different walks of life was there anything that surprised you about their stories um, well, it was interesting to see that people from all different walks of life, um, you know, chose farming and at different times in their life also. I have some people in my book who didn't get into farming until they were retired, and then other people who, you know, did it when they were really young, and um, <clears throat> so that was definitely something that surprised me. Um and, yeah, just how grateful and content most, pretty much everyone seemed to be with farming. There wasn't, you know, there, there weren't people that I talked to who were, like, you know, wishing they had gone into some other career. In reading your book, you learn a lot about one farm in a chapter, and then that same farm will show up in another person's chapter, with all that kind of overlap, is the community very tight-knit with the farmers? I mean, it's just really neat to see farms recurring throughout the book, popping up here and there. Yeah, I tried to show how there's, like, these real relationships between the different farms, and um, and it is very tight-knit. In fact, um, in my interview with James Kinter from Seca Hills, he was talking about how, you know, that he's his generation, which he sees as like the second generation, or I don't know, maybe he said the next generation, um, and they're, I guess, people in their 30s who went to school together at high school, at the local high school, so they know each other, and they'll, you know, just see each other at social events, and um yeah, so then partnerships happen in that way. Um, yeah, and there's also been some really, um, well, in fact, 
um, James Kinter's mother and another local farmer were kind of the the background that got this one organization started, the Cape Valley Vision, which was really a purposeful way to create community and get people talking about how how we could work together. And there was an ag task force as part of that. And and they really worked to create a brand for the Cape Valley um, with this, you know, a certain picture and, um, yeah, just creating a brand, getting the name out there. Although, like I said, still not that many people know where Cape Valley is. But some people, you know, say, oh, yeah, I get my vegetables from there. <laughs> yeah, the community, working together in community has been a really important thing for the farmers here. Does the local non-farming part of the community play a big role too? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I mean, there are a few farm stands that happen a couple of times a week and people you know, go and support that and um, um, go to events that happen at the farms and there's a big hose down harvest festival. This is going to be the 30th year. And that wow. is a time when the whole community gets together and yeah, farmers and non-farmers and all the community organizations are there for the day. And it's all um, a fundraiser that started out as a fundraiser for the ecological farming association of California. So so that's the one interesting way that um, non-farmers are part of what's happening here. What are some of the most pressing issues that family farms are facing today, from your observations? Yeah, um, I think you know the, the there's a couple of things that kind of go together. It's really this big global market and over-regulation of agriculture, um, that can be really hard for the small farmer because they're having to, you know, work under the same regulations that are generally made for this big agribusiness type company. Um, So, you know, even like a lot of these food safety regulations are you know, not so much of an issue for a small farmer, um, but they still have to play by those rules. Uh, the the hazards really come in when you've got, you know, these you know tons and tons of, let's say, spinach all coming into a facility at once, you know, and that's not, those same problems aren't happening when you've just got, you know, one person, <laughs> a couple of people picking spinach and bringing it to, you know, one sink and rinsing it. And so it's, they, you know, that costs money when they have to go through inspections for and meet these regulations. Um, so that's that's definitely something that a lot of farmers brought up, and um, they want to do their best, and you know, they want to, you know, it's not that they don't want to follow regulations. <laughs> it's just that it's a real hardship on their business when the regulations are not to scale with what they're experiencing. Scalability is something that, unfortunately, many federal federal bureaucracies do not understand the concept of. Yeah, it's like it's really interesting to like. Is it that hard <laughs> to make it scalable? I don't know. If you had to summarize your big takeaway 
from your experience interviewing all these different farmers, what would you say it is? I guess my big takeaway would be that small farmers are really needing the support of the public. Um, you know, before when I wrote this book, I thought, oh, isn't it nice that people are interested in this growing, like, eat local movement? And, you know, but I didn't realize how important that could really be to a group of local farmers and people who, without the public's understanding of what it takes to farm, they're the struggles are a lot greater. So, yeah, I was really struck by that, how, how much of integration with, um, with society in general, how important that is for farmers. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Where can people learn more about your book and your work? Yeah, well, the best place would be to go to my website, which is whywefarmkpay.com, and kpay is spelled with a C. And, um, and there's a couple places to find the book there. And, um, yeah, I'll be do- and also I'll be telling what events I'm going to be at um, on that website. Well, excellent. Thank you very much for being on the show. Hopefully we'll have you on again on the show sometime. Thanks so much. Yeah, it looks like you have some great speakers there. Get some good listeners, I'm sure. Well, hopefully they'll all be reading your book once it's released. <laughs> Thanks. It was great to have Elvira on the show today. Be sure to look for her book, Why We Farm, wherever books are sold. You can find the Amazon link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. You can support the show by subscribing on whatever listening medium you use. And while you're there, leave us a nice review. It helps the show and brings a smile to my face. Follow me on Twitter at T underscore Lehew and at Intellectual Agrarian everywhere else. This has been the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast reminding you to keep farming the dream.